Welcome to Navigating Your Financial Journey with Kelly and Matt from Palomar Wealth. In this podcast, we help individuals and families who are ready to create stability for now, security for the future, and flexibility for those moments that change life's trajectory. Please join us as we plot the course towards financial success. Welcome to Navigating Your Financial Journey. This is Matt. And Kelly. We are on episode 12, the last episode of season one. Thank you all who have listened and to those who will listen in the future. Yeah, congratulations for making it to the end of season one. I mean, that's like an accomplishment. Yeah. This (laughs) is all about the foundations and building up from there. So reflecting back on Thrivent's house's security image, we have that on our website where we have the the episodes listed. and. Mm -hmm. Always something you can revisit and have that visualization. I think it does a great job of starting folks out and building up from there. So I kind of see this episode as dessert. This is the most fun (laughs) because this is us going through some common what you might call a myth or a misconception that people might have about finances or money or strategies. And so we're going to go through uh, several different uh, myths that we want to bust a bit and just discuss more is, is really the thing. Make sure that there's clarity and that you have good resources. And so, of course, in the show notes, always in the show notes, we'll put some um, some links that you can read some articles and things. And these are just more for fun, but there's also knowledge here. So you might hear some topics that we've already touched on in previous episodes, but we're going to re- revisit, uh, reemphasize because they're important. Mm-hmm. So this first section of just us having fun uh, are our seven uh, commandments that are, again, myth busters. Uh, and then we'll get into the actual ones that, that we've got. Oh, and just to put this out here, I'll put this in the in the link so you can see this, but this comes from a market watch email, uh, excuse me, website that has a fantastic picture of Charlton Heston from the Ten Commandments as like the image at the top. So just it's so funny uh, if you're a fan of, of older movies. Anyway, so... It's very recognizable. Yes. You'll see if you follow that link, just for fun. <laughs> Go okay. ahead, Matt. What did you All find right. on that article? Thou shall not use credit cards. Commandment one. All right. Number two is thou shalt always be frugal. Third commandment. Thou shalt pay off your mortgage before you retire. Fourth is thou shalt send your kids to the best college money can buy. Number five, retirement is the holy grail. Number six, thou shalt achieve financial success by owning a home. And the last, number seven, thou shalt buy and sell individual stocks because that is what savvy investors do. So all of these, tongue-in-cheek, are not actual financial, I guess, tenants, things you have to do, but there's just common things people adopt or think about when they think about finances or or making smart decisions. And so a lot of these are down to personal choices. And I would argue, especially on the second one, thou shalt always be frugal, that yes, I'm a good Lutheran and I am very frugal. But there's a point where you do want to enjoy your life and be able to use the money for its intended purposes, yes, but also use it for enjoyment. Just Putting that out there. Um, so we're going to actually not go through each of those seven commandments, but some other ones that, that we felt like were more instructive. If you want to read more about those seven commandments, you can follow the link and see the great picture. Kelly is going to lead us off and talk about the first myth. 
this one I heard so many times, like when I was younger, but continue to, is that the myth number one is that I need to have a lot of money to start investing. I think people think they have to reach a certain like block on the monopoly board before they can begin their journey with investing. And there are some good housekeeping things to have completed before you do that. You should be above water each, each month on your budget. You should be able to meet all of your daily needs with some excess, but then there is a point where you don't have to wait till you have, you know, 10,000, 100,000, whatever that number looks like to you before you start investing. And I think just to, you know, remind people the lotto is not going to be your friend. <laughs> a lot of people use that as their investment strategy is I'll play the lotto and someday I'll win big and I'll have it all. Um, but the the stat that I looked up was that the odds of winning the mega millions jackpot are one in 302.5 million and Powerball odds are one in 292.2 million for the top prize. It's probably, I'm sorry guys, it's probably not gonna happen. The lotto, you're probably, I'd have to Google this, but probably more likely to get hit by lightning. Oh, I would think. Isn't that a, I've heard that before. Probably Somebody else can check. Multiple times more <laughs> likely, yeah. Yeah, but to start small, it's okay. Especially if you have an employer plan of some sort, a retirement plan, like a 401k, a 403b, a 457, whatever type of uh, career that you're in. If you have a match, this is the most important thing. As soon as you can, make that match happen. So if you're getting a 3% match from your employer, you can put 3% in, your employer puts 3% in, you have doubled your money instantly. Do it. Do it, yes. And that is that is not something that I think anybody could argue on. Like, no. Just I know that there's a, a limit sometimes to what your, your monthly expenses can handle, but 3% is a small enough percentage that most people can find that in their budget. And then yeah. most 401ks have what kinds of investments, Matt? I mean, a whole variety. I mean, some of them have target date funds, which are nice for kind of that set it and forget it, saying, okay, I'm going to target retirement at this year, so the investment will auto blend based on that. Others give you more flexibility in choosing between mutual funds or ETFs that are index-based, so you can invest in different large, mid, small cap, or international, or different bond categories. So there's some differences depending on who administers the 401k, but a good amount of flexibility overall. Yeah, I know Matt helps people with their 401k allocations and mm-hmm. has a, I think, a subscription for people. Yep. If they'd like to um, find out more about that, you can check with Matt. But knowing that it's more about getting the habit established of putting that money aside, and an easy way to do that is with your 401k because the money never comes to your hands uh, in the first place. And I just as a personal learning have found that any time that there is a step up in your pay, that is a very easy time to increase that percentage without a lot of noticeable difference. I know we're living in a world of higher inflation right now, so you may have needed some of that uh, increase in pay. That, I know, is something to consider, but just keep in mind that's a nice strategy. You might not even realize that you got the raise, you know, realize, air quotes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) tax-wise, when it comes into your hands. Just a nice way to be able to work in it adding to your percent yeah. over time because the goal if for most people I think is what 10 to 15 percent into their retirement mm-hmm. accounts and of course that depends on your personal situation but just a nice benchmark yeah Matt the second myth I think is definitely up your alley as our research head uh, all things stock market all things investments so yeah. tell us about myth two myth number two the stock market is too risky for my retirement money I love that we now have in our hallway a 
pretty big framed poster of the market performance going back to the 1950s through, I think, the end of 2022. And it's not only showing just broad market performance, but there's a line for inflation, there's a line for different balanced portfolios that are a mix of stocks and bonds. But the idea here is that we always advocate and coach on taking a long-term approach to investing. Long-term success is not short-term perfection. And when you're talking about risk, and we've talked about risk tolerance and risk capacity in a prior episode, uh, for someone to say that, you know, it's too risky for me to put my money in there. Well, let's think about statistics, okay? So the S&P 500, that's, that's a pretty common benchmark of U.S. stock performance. And again, going back to the 1950s through uh, 2021, the historical average, annualized average, is 10.5% return. Absolutely, yes, there have been some just horrendous years where there's been double-digit negative return, and it's not fun experiencing that, but you you should really consider taking that long-term approach because you need to think about helping hedge against inflation, right? We just talked about right. that in, in the myth you know, Kelly was talking about is inflation is going to happen. It's just some, some of it's just the natural increase in prices based on, you know, inputs going up and different things like that. But then we've got things like have happened in 2022 and 2023 with uh, how the Federal Reserve has been manipulating interest rates and different things like that. So if your money's just in a mattress, it's not it's not keeping up with inflation, right? So if we have a long-term target for retirement and we need, you know, a level of return on that, what are you doing to help try to, to achieve that? Well, Matt, I think a, a good point that somebody might or a question that somebody might ask is, you know, how do you protect your principal? Because there is risk. It's it's not risk-free to invest. And so how do you make it as risk, I guess, what's the right word? How do you make the risk as low as possible? I think it comes down to your diverse diversification of your investments. And again, we talk about that uh, with our clients when we're doing our client service model. But even for you as a listener, if you're not working with us, is what's your blend of stock market exposure versus none? Uh, we talk about the equity to fixed income ratio a lot, and that's your blend of stock investments versus bond investments. Uh, but people blend in other things like just having things in cash holdings or having individual treasury investments like I-bonds that were very popular over the yeah. last couple of years. Or real estate. Real estate, yes. And uh, precious metals. I and mean, not that I'm saying... Not a fan. I'm not advocating, you know, that <laughs> right. you know, one is the holy grail for everything. But our, our market goes in cycles. And there can be longer stretches where something is outperforming or underperforming and if you're not all eggs in one basket, that can help that be a more comfortable ride, uh, the experience uh, that you're going through. Um, but I, I always recommend that long-term, long-term view to say, you know what, things things have gone well uh, in the past. There's not, it's not a guarantee. Obviously, there's not a guarantee right. uh, that it's going to repeat exactly the same way. But that uh, is an awful lot of history to look back on to try to shape our, our behavior. Well, and the third one, this myth number three is, I'm young. I don't need to start saving for retirement now. I think that reflects back to myth one is I don't need, I need to have a lot of money to start investing. I think it's the same boat. 
Yeah. And just a reminder that age actually is a benefit. So the younger you are, that means the longer you have to let that money grow. And so you can put less money in and have more money at the end if you start sooner. And there was an example back in one of our previous episodes that you can listen to. And then some of the the links, um, I think this Fidelity article that has a side-by-side where you can see the the growth of, um, you know, the, the timing, I should say. The younger person putting in less money has more time to let it grow than the person that starts later. Even if they put more money in, mm-hmm. they end up with less in the end. So just a good reminder in knowing that now is the time, and, and we've talked about ways to make that easier to automate it. So like with the 401k, that's an example. So you never see the money, but you can do that as well, that each month something comes out of your account and you put it into, you know, if you have maybe a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA or just a regular investment account, whatever you decide is the right avenue for you and that fits with your situation. But you can make those automatic investments happen. Just like automatic bill pay, you can do automatic investments. So just a reminder, you can do that too. Mm-hmm. Myth number four, home buying is the ideal goal. And <laughs> <laughs> I sighed. This, Deep breath. Uh, you know, for us, it's really, that's different. The goal is different for each person's situation. We, again, this is a topic that we hit on, maybe not as detailed as some of the things we've, we've listed out here, but uh, there are added costs to being a homeowner that can somewhat fluctuate and mm-hmm. even be unexpected where you are the sole bearer of that responsibility. You know, mm-hmm. if you're a renter, there's obviously some things that you're going to be able to pass off to the landlord because that's a contractual arrangement and you are responsible for this, they're responsible for that. But when you become the homeowner, you've got real estate taxes. This is being recorded in Illinois. We are number two on the real estate <laughs> list in the whole U.S. So they it's are high. high, yes. Um, homeowner's insurance maintenance things that just need routine maintenance to keep the house up kept and running in good shape uh, doing upgrades and improvements you know i was out in our driveway today and i see we've got cracks that you know my, i was like oh i probably need to get some sand and some caulk and fill that in or we're going to yeah. have the grand canyon in our, our driveway soon yeah. the the unexpected things and some of these can be large for sure tree removal that was us recently <laughs> yeah we had Bought our house in March of 2021, and so before you would see uh, any sort of foliage on the trees. And when we moved in in May after the closing, we saw that we had four sick trees and one dead ash tree, and not small. We had to do um, some research and decided uh, with some help to do a semi-DIY with some experienced help uh, of, of friends of ours. And so we were able to take down the trees for a smaller amount than if we would have had to, you know, have someone come out and do that. And so um, tree removal is very expensive. And there's a lot of things with homes that are very expensive. Something in your basement breaks and there you've got flooding and, and damage on the drywall if it's finished. And there's, there's just a long list of <laughs> potential things. And the whole Murphy's Law, you know, if you're not aware, you know, Murphy's going to come knocking. And I think that's just a, an important Reminder that when you are the owner, it's your responsibility, just like Matt said. You know, then reflecting on renting, you know, could that be the less expensive path? And it it could, it depends, but look at your current situation. I think for a lot of people, think about the timeline that you might be in that particular area. You know, I, this is me personally, I 
first started working in my career at State Farm, which is in Bloomington. And, you know, so I was commuting, uh, then started to look for a place to live down there, and I went the homeowner's approach. And I totally regret it because it felt more like an apartment because I would be coming back to the Peoria area every weekend. And so it just wasn't you know, me putting any roots in the ground there. And mm-hmm. so really think about your situation because it might make more sense focusing on that shorter term and controlling your expenses through the rent process could also later on lead you to be in a better situation to get into that home ownership situation, building up a good down payment so that you're hopefully avoiding PMI, private mortgage insurance, or if you do have to use PMI, being able to get rid of it sooner More quickly, rather than, yeah. than later. Um, well, just the stress too, being yeah. the homeowner, when... When my husband Mike was still in the military, we always would use base housing. And there were people that would buy, depending on their situation. And I just thought how much more stress that adds to the situation when if, you know, the spouse was deployed or they were assigned to a new duty station and then they had to unload this house somehow or become renters long term far away, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that they were the landlords now. And so that to me is back to our values conversation from our previous episode, the value of not having to worry about those larger expenses or that responsibility. That could be ideal depending on where you are in life and um, your longer-term goals to, to hopefully get to home ownership if that is a goal. And if not, that's okay. Yeah. And I think there's this myth of that home ownership is the way to build wealth. And truly, that's it's another investment. It's another form of risk. You don't know what the market's going to do. You don't know what your house is going to end up being worth when you're ready to sell. And there have been plenty of examples over the last 20 years of people trying to get out of their house because it was time or for whatever reason, and they had to sell, and they either had to bring money to the table or they didn't have as much coming out of that. So just just a reminder that your home is not your only investment. And you can see it that way, but you can also look at it just as, a living space and a place to build memories with your family and not not that it's always a financial transaction. Yeah. I think leaving this topic with some useful advice is talking around when if you are going into the home buying process is be very intentional about shopping for the best mortgage rate that you can get and be cautious around the pre-approval process because in the past banks have been kind of doing a poor job on the debt to income ratio that they will allow Mm -hmm. you to have as a borrower. They unfortunately look at your gross pay, or I think pre-tax, just in case you weren't uh, knowing gross. Or I think it'd be better (laughs) to look at your after-tax, your take-home pay, Mm -hmm. because ideally if you can be spending around a quarter of your take-home pay or less on your housing expense, should or hopefully would put you in a better position just budgeting wise and and expense wise in general keep that in mind yeah and and to remember too when you're thinking about a quarter of your take-home pay that should include things like your property taxes Mm -hmm. your homeowner's insurance the things that you might not consider uh to be a part of that number um not everybody does the um escrow escrow, thank you he knew i was looking for a word (laughs) the escrow approach makes it a little easier because then that number is all in one. But just keep that in mind. Your total household expenses for housing should be in that quarter 
of your take-home pay range, that will really help you benchmark a little closer to allow for you to spend on things you enjoy or, you know, saving for other purposes. Okay, Kelly, take us on to myth five. This is a good one because this one says, myth five, slashing expenses is the only way to save money. And that one gets me because I just think that people think, like, I need to take an action, I need to, to change something, and they think it means taking something away, kind of the negative, almost like a punishment. Mm -hmm. And so I think it, it can be a good thing to remember that maybe it's not that you did something wrong and that you have to lower your expenses, um, but maybe you need to increase your income. Maybe you need to uh, make some small adjustments, take on a second job. I think this one was one I know we worked through as a family because uh, there was a time when my husband was in the um, in his school process and we were both working and trying to make ends meet and it just seemed like times where we just wouldn't be getting very far. We didn't have a lot of forward momentum, but then we had to think about it differently and go, okay, well, we're taking this time now, investing the time in the education piece, and then later on that'll pay off. It may be that you do need to cut back. Only you will know that, but you know, looking at some of our budgeting information from budget, uh, I think episode two was our, our first one. That one I think has the top listens at this time, which kind of is encouraging uh, that a lot of people want to know more about budgeting. But just think about, it's not, maybe not a outgo problem, maybe it's an inflow problem that it could be temporary, it could be long-term. Maybe that means we need to think about going back to school, finding a different job. I think in the economy right now, there are a lot of people that are finding a better paying job if they start looking. Look at what your skills are. If there is something that you're interested in that you want to explore as a side hustle or as a different career, a, a move, I mean, think about it, pray about it, research it, figure out, is that the way I need to go? Because I think the number one thing I see when people are saying um, different articles or things you're reading, you need to cut back on all of your coffee expenses when you're going out and getting that $5 coffee every day. I think most people, there may be some people that do that, but okay if they can afford it. I don't think that's most people. I don't think that's the core root of America's <laughs> debt problem is everyone gets a coffee every day. Um, so just think about it a little differently. Maybe it's yeah. not the uh, outgoing funds, but no. you know, be, be honest with yourself because it, it could also be. Sometimes we spend too much on things. Yeah. All right, the mat, this one is a, one important for all I would say all people, but tell us why. Number yeah. six. Number six, life insurance is just for wage earners. I, again, example from something here in our local uh, world is I, I hear a commercial for an insurance agent now, and he calls it love insurance. And he's talking about life insurance. <laughs> and he's getting you to reflect on the fact that, um, you know, you love your family and your kids, and that's that's why you you know the, the core of getting life insurance would be to help them if you were to unexpectedly pass. And why it's not just for wage earners is because if you're in a uh, family situation where you've got a spouse that stays home and takes care of things, cleans the house, takes care of children, that that has value. And Absolutely. if that person is gone and you intend to still be the wage earner, you're going to need help. You'll and have to replace that. You'll have to replace that. Yeah. And having financial resources can make that happen. So think about childcare, grocery shopping, going to activities, cleaning your home, eventually sending kids to school. Maybe you want to eliminate all or some of the debt on your home if a spouse were to pass away. 
then having this life insurance be there to to plug that is super critical. So I, I like that commercial where they talk about it as love insurance because yeah. that's that's why you're doing it or why you, you should consider doing it. Yeah, and I think to tie it back to the purpose too, the one thing you mentioned in the other, uh, the values-based episode, we're talking about finding that one thing. So finding the reason for the life insurance. A lot of people, I think, feel a little hesitant about life insurance because they're only thinking of whole life insurance. Mm. And it is higher cost to do yeah. whole life insurance. That means you're insured for your whole life for this face amount, the death benefit. You pay that premium every single month or year, however you decide. But there are other options. There's term insurance. There's variable insurance so that you can flex the premium mm-hmm. amounts. So just know that there's other options. And I am personally a big fan of term, especially for families, because it has such a low cost. It's almost a why not because you're getting so much. I know that I think 97% of people don't use their term insurance. Good, 97% of people did not die. That is fantastic. It's just like you having your car insurance. You have that so that if you do have an accident, it's covered. This is the same situation. And I think a lot of people want to not think about what happens if my spouse or myself dies. And so that's the hard part of the conversation. But you're giving such a gift if you can if you're gone or if they're gone, be able to leave behind one less worry. That financial and, worry is off the table. And how is it going to make you feel having that risk covered? I mean, not just the monetary value of how much insurance you have. is right. What is that peace of mind that it's providing is, is value as well? Yeah, I think that takes us to number seven because it's in the same arena. It's myth, myth number seven. I only need a will or a state plan if I'm wealthy. And we hear that a lot because I think just like investing, people think they have to hit like a certain minimum amount before it matters. Here's here's the part we really want you to take away, that if you don't make a plan, then it falls to the court system and the government gets to decide what your plan is. And so you have a plan whether you realize it or not. And better to make it a plan that actually you intended and you worked, worked through the steps and another gift to your family. Because this is on my heart just thinking about when you see somebody lose a loved one and all the steps they have to go through to get through the funeral process and moving accounts out of their name and clearing up the mail mm-hmm. and the digital footprint, that's a thing anymore where your loved one might have like all these different accounts and you have to figure out what, what was their login and how right. do I get there and how do I notify them and all those different ways. So having an estate plan is more than just a will that's a really good, important document to have. And there's a lot of resources online that can help you with that. We help people with estate planning through an estate partner that we Mm -hmm. use. And so I think we had another episode on that as well, because it is a very important part of your overall financial house. But we just want you to think about that is what gift can I give my family? If I'm not here anymore, how can I make it easier for them? That's an estate plan. So it's not about the money. It's about the planning. All right, that is our Mythbusters episode. Uh, we we almost hit thirty minutes, and we try to keep these Sorry. shorter. But you know what? <laughs> I liked this episode. Hopefully, you guys listening thought that this was a good good topic as well. And again, thanks for getting through this first season, and we look forward to more topics. Yeah, I know. Not that we have a season built out in terms of topics, but I know our goal for season two is to have more conversational topics Mm -hmm. like this because definitely we wanted everyone to have that great foundational information, but I think it's sometimes more enjoyable to hear the back and forth opinion side, the resource side, 
the conversation is just a little bit more interesting. So season two, there'll be a lot more of those types of episodes. So stick around. All right. Thanks. Thanks for joining Kelly and Matt to learn about navigating your financial journey. Your time, ears, and brain space are appreciated. Subscribe below to be notified as new episodes are published. Visit www.palomarwealth.com to learn more. The information covered and posted represents the views and the opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Palomar Wealth. Palomar Wealth does not provide legal, accounting, or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For complete details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Palomar Wealth is part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be suitable for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider for any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. 